0: We're in this series we're calling "The Struggles of Jacob," uh, where we see that this man who was one of the patriarchs, one of the founding fathers of our faith, uh, we see that he had one struggle after another, which kind of makes me feel a little more comfortable in my spiritual walk, because I seem to have one struggle after another. Now I know you probably don't have a life like that but I have a life that seems to have one struggle after another and I have to be an overcomer I have to learn how to do that because there's struggles in my life in your life so we're in today in Genesis 29 book of Genesis if you're not familiar with the Bible is the first book of the Bible right in the very beginning chapter 29 and we're gonna start reading in verse 13 this is an amazing story Uh, And it's the kind of story that you just kind of read through it, and it doesn't say anything about God in there. It's just a man with the struggles of life. But I want us to learn from the struggles that he had. What can we observe? So this portion of of the story that we're going to read today um, has multiple parts to it. And I went through the story and outlined it, and I I see I broke it into seven parts. Uh, So we're going to learn seven lessons Aspects of this from uh, Genesis 29. So let's start reading in verse 13 and 14. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, You are my own flesh and blood. See, they'd never met before. This is Laban's nephew, Jacob. We've been studying the life of Jacob, but now we see he's gone back home. And as Pastor Adam shared last week, he was running for his life because his twin brother had swore he was going to kill him. So he ran for all he's worth, and he went to his uncle Laban, or he would be safe from his brother's threats. And when he gets there, Laban is so excited to see him. I mean, wouldn't you be if you just met some nephew or niece that, you had, that was dear to your heart, but you'd never met him? As a matter of fact, he didn't even know there was a Jacob. He knew, he knew about his sister, but he didn't know about the kids. Met him for the first time. You are my own flesh and blood. I think all of us, when we meet a niece or a nephew, or a cousin, somebody that's related to us, they're just an excitement on the inside. That life just goes on, and it goes out in different veins and branches, and it's just kind of cool uh, to to see somebody and to kind of look and say, you know, he does kind of have his his father's nose. Or it's the, it's the eyes. It's, it's the hair between the eyebrows. That's what it is. I recognize that. <laughs> but I want us to remember also that there are, there's a spiritual family. We're brothers and sisters, nieces and nephews and cousins that are spiritual. When I come here, I, I kind of have to remind myself of this because when I, when I go to Kroger, Or Walmart, I don't see this connection. But when I come here, I look around and I I look at the faces that are here. And my mind is spinning because I remember when you went through this crisis. I remember when you went through that problem. I remember when some of you made a decision for Christ and you first changed. I, I remember that. And so I look at you and I see you as my family. This is like a family reunion. This is a cool time for me when we get together. So I want you to kind of step into that family reunion mentality when we come together and see one another as brothers and sisters. Maybe we've never seen each other before. But we have a common father. Yes. Father God. Yes. And we have, because we're born again, he, we have his DNA in us. So the first point, if you want to take notes, I, I, I titled this, The Persuasive Relationship. He, there's some kinship. There's, some, there's something persuasive about being connected to someone of your own flesh and blood. And spiritually speaking, it's the same thing with our spiritual walk. There's, there's something, there's some kinship when I'm dealing with another Christian. Even if they go to another church. There's, there's some kinship that I feel. We have something in common. I can trust you because you're a Christian. You can trust me because I say I'm a Christian. Now, that doesn't mean you can trust every Christian. But the odds are a whole lot better. Because Christians know God's got the, his eye on them. Here's the second part of the story. Uh, it's in verses 15, 16, 17, and 18. After Jacob had stayed with him for a while, excuse me, for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure And was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Interesting. When's the last time your boss came to you and said, What should your wages be? (laughs) Bosses don't let their employees choose the wages, right? That would sink the ship for sure. But this is what the father says. Tell me what your wages would be. Let's come up with a deal here. I want you to work for me. Let's come up with some arrangement. So he has come this way to find a wife. If you remember earlier in the story of Jacob, we see that his mother was not happy at all with the women in that part of the country. And the father wants his son to marry one of these gals over there from his family. So he's gone there for the purpose of finding a wife. So he's connected with Uncle Laban, and back in those days they kind of wanted to marry within a family cluster, family group. And he went back there to the family, and there's two daughters. He's got two to choose from. One's got weak eyes, and the other's got a lovely figure. Which do you think he's going to choose, given these descriptions? The weak eyes or the lovely figure? You know human nature. We're talking about customs and, and how to deal with customs that are different. But some customs never change. Guys aren't looking for women with weak eyes. They're looking for women with a lovely figure. This is what has caught his attention. But it plays into our story. I'm not just trying to be funny here, although I think God's got a great sense of humor. He does. I'm not just trying to be funny here. I want us to see that we're seeing some patterns set up, some contrasts. Again and again, Jacob has contrasts in his life. Not only is he radically different from his twin brother, radically different. Not only is, is, does his mother love him, And his father loves his big brother, or his twin brother. But here we see a a contrast with his choices and what he's going to do with his life. So he gets a chance to set his wages. I'll make you a deal, Laban, Uncle Laban, I'll make you a deal. I will work for you for seven years if you'll agree to give me Rachel, the one with the lovely figure. I want, that's the one I want. That's the one I'm interested in. I love this Rachel. I'll, I love her so much, I'll work for you for seven years in exchange for the right to marry her. You see how the customs are a little bit different today than they were back then? But he's made an arrangement. I'm, I'm calling this the perceived contrasts in his life. I want us to see the perceived contrasts the two women he's got to choose from. Then we go to the third thing I want us to see, and that's the pathetic compliment. We all like it when somebody gives us a compliment, but some compliments are just pathetic. Like, listen to verse 19. Laban said, It's better that I give her to you than some other man. Stay here with me. Was that a compliment? Was he saying something good? Or was he saying something bad? I don't see it as too much of a compliment. Better I give it to you than somebody else. I would much rather say, sure, I would love to have you be part of the family. Be the father of my grandkids. Pathetic compliment. I think sometimes we give pathetic compliments to somebody else to other people. We don't realize it's a pathetic compliment. But you know, people need encouraged. Yes. Everybody needs encouraged. Yeah. If, we don't get, if we don't get encouraged, we get discouraged because life just drags us down. And we all need somebody to encourage us and say something positive. Let's go to the fourth one here I want us to see, verse 20. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. And everybody ought to say, aw. That's a good scripture to put on a Valentine's Day card, you know. Served for seven years, but it only seemed like a few days because of his love for her. If you love something, you're willing to make a sacrifice for it. If you say you love Jesus then you should be willing to make a sacrifice for that. This is what I'm calling the power of love. And if you love someone, you're willing to pay a price. You're willing to make a sacrifice. You're willing to wait if you love someone. Love, what's that, that saying they got out there? Love can wait. It had to for Jacob... But the story is just now being set up. He's still setting the story up. Let's let's look at the payday. The The next thing I want us to see is the payday. That's in verses 21 through 24. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her, and Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. Interesting twist in the story, but the culture that we live in here in America makes it hard for us to understand what's going on here in the story. Laban comes to, or excuse me, Jacob comes to his Uncle Laban and says, Give me my paycheck. Give you agreed that I would work for seven years, and then you would give Rachel to me. So Uncle Laban says, Okay, so he's got got a big celebration. This is a wedding. Now we we have a lot of customs today related to weddings that go way back. Nobody can tell you why we do this, but it's customary for us at a wedding to do these things. We have, uh, we have a wedding ceremony where lots of people come, everybody dresses up, and the bride is dress, dressed in her uh, uh, best outfit, and everybody dresses up, and everybody comes. We bring a gift to the bride and groom. We go to the reception. We have a party. Those are all... Uh, customary things that come from way back. But there are a couple things we leave out today. One of those things is they had the reception before the wedding. Everybody came. They had a big dinner. They killed the fatted calf. They had the celebration, had a big meal. Then they had the wedding ceremony. Then the bride and groom went home to the wedding uh, chamber Marriage chamber where they consummated the relationship. It all started with the big party, the big celebration that lasted for several days back in those days. And everybody ate to their full, and they drank to the full. Wine, not water, not grape juice. This was a celebration this was a party. And the other custom that's changed is the bride always wore a veil over her face. As a matter of fact, women most of the time wore a veil over their face. That's that's still seen in uh, the Muslim culture in the Middle East. Hide. Because It's kind of shameful for you to be beautiful and for somebody to be attracted to that. So here we got this wedding ceremony. After everybody's had the party, after everybody's been well drunk with the wine, they have the wedding ceremony. And the bride comes in with this veil over her face. And they go through the whatever kind of vows, whatever kind of promises they would make to each other in the ceremony. And then the bride or the groom takes the bride back home, consummates the relationship. What's going to happen tomorrow morning when the drunk man wakes up a little bit sober? Big hangover. So this, this, is, the, this is the story that we're seeing unfolding here. Let's pick up the story in uh, the sixth part of the story, verses 25 through 28. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one who, in return for another one, also in return for another seven years of work. 14 years out of his life, 14 years of his career working for an uncle who's a deceiver, who pulls a dirty trick on Him. Why? Because it's not our custom. We have to do the customary thing. We have to follow the customs. How many would agree, not all customs are good customs? At least, let's talk about the customs up front so we understand what the customs are. I've seen, uh, I've seen some, having been on some missions trips in some foreign countries, I've, I've seen some interesting cultural differences. It's not customary to do this down there. It's customary to do that. Uh, when we started, when we were early on taking a lot of missions trips to the Dominican Republic, uh, Dr. Allen, who we worked with down there, would told us how not to dress. He says, I, 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 know, you, I know the men like to wear shorts because it's going to be hot down here but don't wear shorts because only homosexuals show off their legs okay we're not going to wear shorts down there and he also said don't wear any military no camo no military garments Well, why not because the united states invaded the dominican republic back in the sixties and there's some real hostility among some of the older folks so if you want to win them over Don't wear shorts, don't wear camo gear, don't wear anything looking military. See, we'd have never known that. We would have gone down there just just wearing what we wear around here. They also told us when you go to church, wear a tie. If you're going to preach, wear a tie because that gives you respect down there. Up here, our culture is different. So when you go somewhere else, the culture changes, and you need to ask yourself, what are the customs down here? If we're trying to reach these people down here, what are their customs? What's their language? How do they communicate? have to ask that. Because what's happening here is a cultural shift. Customs. Customs. The customs back where Jacob comes from are different than the customs over here where Laban lives. And if Jacob's going to go to Laban's territory, he needs to understand the customs there. And I'm going somewhere with this. I'll get there in just a little bit. But I I want us to see, this is the personal deception that came into his life. It's not our custom. He's using some logic to explain away why he deceived someone else. In our country, we have Uh, customs, and we communicate what those customs are via TV and social media. And the, the the young generation, that's just learning what are the customs, what are the customary ways of doing things. The young generation watches television and social media, and they think everything they see and read on those systems are the way it should be. And they get real confusion. And us Christians have to understand that although we are Americans, patriotic Americans, when we become Christians, we must change our customs. Christians don't act like the world acts. We have got a value system that's been given to us in the Word of God. God has communicated to us what our customs should be how we should value integrity and truth. And the world I'm seeing doesn't care about truth as long as it gets them what they want. But God's not like that. He values truth. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Don't conform to this world. Don't watch TV and say, oh, that's, that's, that's what I want to be like. Don't listen to all your friends on social media and say, that's what I want to be like. Look at the word of God and say, that's what I want to be like. We've got to convert our worldly culture... To God's culture, if we want to get married, you know, and that's what Christianity is, you're being married to Jesus, you're the bride of Christ. If you want to get married to Jesus, you got to assume the customs over there. Proverb 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Two-faced, two-sided put on this face when I go to church on Sunday, put on that face when I go back to work on Monday or back to school. That's duplicity. He wants us to make our mind up. Where do we stand with God and then live that way all the time? Which takes us to the last part of the story. Verse, uh, the last part of verse 28. He finished the week with Leah and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife Laban gave the serpent a servant Bilhah to his wife Rachel and her attendant Jacob made love to Rachel also and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah and he worked for Laban another seven years oh I think we're seeing a perpetual victim here he was raised in a home Where his mom loved him, but his dad loved his brother, his twin brother. You see, that's duplicity. And now we're seeing he, because he was raised in that environment, that environment that fostered jealousy and insecurity, now he is living it out himself, loves one wife more than another. You know there's troubles brewing. You know having two wives and loving one more than the other. You know there's going to be competition. You know there's going to be trouble. All through his life, he struggles. Perpetual problem. And the thought that came to my mind is if you don't deal with these dysfunctions when you're young, they become unbearable when you get older. You have to identify what are the dysfunctions, what are the things that aren't God-like, that are not part of God's customs. What are those things that displease God, cause me all kinds of problems, what are they now? Because if I don't fix them, I'm going to be like one of these folks that I visited in a nursing home where nobody wants to be around them, can't deal with them. i get, get the time. I'll tell, I'll tell this story. There was, uh, when we were doing uh, church services at Betts Nursing Home, I would go over there every couple, on rotation I would go. And when I would go, there was this, uh, there was this man who often would have anger bursts, bursts of anger. And one time right after the church service, I, I was going around shaking hands with all the folks that came out, and they, was, they were going back to their rooms. And there was this one man who just started yelling at the top of his voice, ranting and raving. It was the guy, I knew he had done that before, but now I'm right in the room. And he just was going off, and I just very calmly walked up to him as he's ranting and raving. And I I called him, I knew his name, so I called him by his first name, and I said, "Uh, Is everything okay? And he just started telling me what was, what was wrong. It's all these women, he keeps wanting to be friends with the ladies, you see. And none of them want to be friends with him. And he's mad at that. And I thought to myself, well, why would any lady want to be friends with you, buddy? But I didn't say that. I just listened to him, asked him some questions, using this, my soft voice. And his voice got softer and softer and softer as he talked with me. Story come out, his wife had left him years ago. He was a bitter, angry man. And he was just looking for a woman to reject him so he could vent on her. That's what it was. And so he would want to do something with the ladies after church, and they didn't want to do anything with him. They'd just ignore him and walk off, and he'd just go into this explosion. Here's a guy who refused to deal with his bitterness long ago. And now he's an old man. Nobody wants to be around. And I thought to myself, I don't want to be like that guy. I know I got problems. I know I got issues. But I don't want to be like him. And if I don't deal with them when I'm young, they're going to be overbearing when I'm older. Perpetual problems he inherited from his father. You see, we're not looking at the perfect model of a man we all ought to want to be like. We're looking at at the model of a man we all are like the whole story here the whole principle of the story of Jacob and all his struggles and all his difficulties is in a fallen world life is a mess in your life in my life because we live on planet earth things are a mess but we need to keep our eyes on Jesus Because the one thing Jacob needs to understand is his wife, both of them, need to know they're number one. And if he's going to have two wives, he's got to have to figure out, how do I prove to both of them they're most important? They're loved more than the other. And so let me just say something to all the men that are sitting here that are married. Your wife needs, her emotional need is to know she's number one. She's more important than your job, that she's more important than your career, than your bank account that she's more important than anything else. She needs to know that. God wired her that way. That's your responsibility. If your wife is a nag and you don't like it, that's your fault because you did not make her feel secure because nagging is the result of insecurity. Did I say that okay? So here's the thing we need to do and here's the application I want to give to all of us. What we need to do... is we need to figure out what are the customs that I'm doing right now with my life that don't line up with the customs of a man or a woman of God. How do I need to change the customs? As we were singing earlier in the worship time, Pastor David said, God changes everything. And we sang that song about how he changes everything. What the typical Christian wants is for God to change their environment so they can be happy. What God wants is to change our hearts. that's what changes. And when my heart changes, guess what? The way I see everything changes. So I want to encourage you. Let God change your heart. Let God step in. He will bring a transformation in your life as He did in mine. I believe He will. Let's stand together. It's your choice. We're going to sing a song about that. And as we sing it, Maybe you need to have a conversation with God. Maybe what what you need to do is say, God, I see where I've been messing up. I see where I've dropped the ball. I want to change my customs. Show me how to do that, God. And if you ask God that, I believe he will.